Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 355. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. A very happy early birthday to Sarah, Hugh, and Stephanie. Hey! Uh, Joey is also back. Wow, look at that research right there at the top of the show. Right? <laughs> Bob's really good with birthdays. You know who's not good with birthdays? Everybody Me. else. <laughs> and Melissa, Melissa, you're not good with birthdays? I'm terrible with birthdays. I only know birthdays when Facebook tells me it's birthdays. Yes. <laughs> Even your own so, sons. No, I feel like an ass because I didn't know Hugh's birthday. <laughs> so I got put in a spot because my sister used to put together like a yearly calendar of like the kids and them or whatever. And she would send it out to everybody and it had all the details and it had everybody's birthdays, the whole bit. And then she stopped making them. Oops. So now I actually know when people's birthdays and my family are coming up and it's really hard to remember everybody. And yeah. So Facebook all the way. Thank you very much. There are ones that I'm really good at remembering because I have a lot of number ones in my family. Like my, both my sisters are December 1st, mm-hmm. so they're easy. Oh. And my son is November 1st. He's easy. Uh, I have a couple of complicated ones. My dad's St. Patrick's Day, so that's easy. That's easy. My mom's birthday, I always forget. Don't kill me yet. It's because she's like a week and a half before Mother's Day. So when we all lived in the same place, we would just celebrate two of them together. So I kind Uh of lost track of the actual date. Um, And my husband and my best friend's birthdays are one is 4-4 and one is 4-14. So sometimes... I get it gets a little sketchy. Yeah, I have to check when April rolls around. I'm like, oh shit, somebody's birthday is coming. (laughs) Yeah, this is just who I am, and it's gonna sound weird when I say it, but I'm always paranoid that someone changes their birthday on Facebook to test (laughs) other people to see if they really know their birthday. Oh, I had a friend who did that. So like, it'll be like, oh, it's so and so's birthday today. I'd be like, is it really, or are they just (laughs) messing with everyone? Yeah, I'm paranoid. I'm a paranoid human. I just set myself up recently because my mom said happy birthday to my niece a day early. And I saw my mom's post and I was like, oh, shit, I forgot her birthday. So I said happy birthday to my niece. And she's like, no, it's not my birthday. Speaking of happy birthdays, you know what I had to do last week? I had to edit out the part where we all wished G. Willison a happy birthday because it actually happened before the podcast. So I worked a little (laughs) bit of magic. But now everybody knows about it. (laughs) Should I edit that out too or? No, no, it's fine. It's all on me. It was totally on me. I was like, yeah, it's her birthday. It totally wasn't her birthday. Well, how far off uh, were we? But, well, uh, only, by, only by a little bit, yeah. Um, 
But I will say this uh, in relation to G. Will Wilson. Uh, she is having some medical troubles right oh. now. And just from all of us, we are putting out good vibes I to her to. for a uh, mm-hmm. safe and quick recovery. Uh, we wish her all the best. I have no idea what's going on, but it does sound rather serious. So uh, just putting that out there, everybody just like say a little something for good uh, thoughts. for Gio Wilson. Okay. What else do we have on this podcast besides nonsense? We have uh, Spider-Man came out on the PlayStation 4. Going to talk about that. Iron Fist Season 2 hit Netflix this past Friday. We're going to talk a little bit about that, too. Yes. Captain Marvel bent the internet. It did not break uh, it, but it bent it. It bent it with uh, Entertainment Weekly's coverage. Thank you, Bob, for the bent joke. I love it. Um, And we have lightning rounds, questions, and books, and stuff. So, you know. You know what's going on. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm tired. I'm sick, and I'm literally sick and tired. I am am not feeling well, so pardon me. You're not sick uh, and tired of us, are you? No. No, but this podcast is brought to you by Cave Whiskey. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. All right. Uh, let's see. What should we do first? Let's actually, you know what? Let's do a little bit of a reminder. Uh, either Melissa or Bob, one of you mm-hmm. has to fight for the reminder announcement of what it, went down this past week. It's Melissa's gig. So please, Melissa. Um. So, well, Okay. I, I'm going to remind, but I also have a little bit of uh, news that Bob's not aware of yet. <laughs> okay. Um, we had Bob on our r- latest uh, Sirens of Scream episode, which was all about HP Lovecraft, um, which was super fun because it's something that, like, you know, I feel like after over two years of doing the show, we're like, we haven't done this yet. Why haven't we done this yet? But then when we sat down to do it, all three of us, me and my co-hosts, uh, realized that we don't have an extensive HP Lovecraft education. Um, or experience any of us so so we all kind of we all kind of brought different stuff and uh bob as he does uh took us to school (laughs) as much as he says he's not going to bob can't help it that's what he does and that's why we have him on the show because he makes he makes things easier (laughs) Um, great conversation i thought it ended up being such an extensive show that we've actually decided, uh, without Bob's knowledge, that we're going to split it into two episodes. Wow! So the next two episodes will be um, will be H.P. Lovecraft with Bob Ryer. Wow! Ooh. Thank and, you. And because that. our our great editor uh, Drew wants to have a little bit of fun and uh, make some spooky stuff, so oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so it's going to be really it's going to be extra fun. You have an editor. We do. We have a professional editor. Well, so do we. All right. (laughs) I know we do. I've I've been told that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm told. Joey is our editor. That makes it true. Joey is an editor. Wow. All right, let's move on. Let's move Uh on. Bob, would you care to to grace us with a lightning round? Sure. All right, Bob, you have five minutes on the clock and go. First up, I read Captain America number three by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Lionel Francis Hugh. I have to say I've been kind of torn about my feelings at the start of this run, although I must say that divide has nothing to do with the quality of the work itself. For me, 
After so many years of dead cap, dimension Z cap, old cap, and hydra cap, uh, the Altacocca in me was hoping that Mark Wade's brief redemption tour of America by Steve Rogers would be enough to let the world see he was back to normal, and we jump right into stopping the bad guy stories. The thing of it is, in my deepest feelings about this character, Captain America stands for much more than that, and that's what this team has really been bringing to the forefront over these last couple of issues particularly, as Cap discovers just how fractured the country and the larger world, too, became under his, in quotes, and Hydra's leadership. Just thoughtful, intelligent script married to beautiful artwork. And if I have one complaint, I still believe that Cap would find a way to save some of those who are being lost. But that's just probably my 1960s hippie self talking again. Next, I took a flyer, no pun intended, on Silver Surfer Annual Number no. 1 by Ethan Sachs with art by... Andre Lima Arroyo and Chris O'Halloran with letters by Travis Lanham. Set in the time when Norad was still Herald to Galactus, scouring the universe for planets for the world eater to devour, he has been tasked by his master to find a world teeming with life, for only then will his appetite be sated. An absolutely special book on every level imaginable, with wonderful surprises, great character work, looks amazing. Uh, highly recommended. Even though it is four ninety nine, it is kind of a chunky book with lots of good stuff in it. Hmm. Also on the cosmic side is Ant Man and the Wasp number five, and that's the finale of the Nadja Van Dyne Scott Lang miniseries by Mark Wade and Javier Garon, which is about as sciencey as you can get, with, with lots of quantum physics in play, but most importantly, tons of chemistry between Nadia and Scott. Considering that at the start of this mini, she was none too thrilled at having to rescue twice the man who stole her father's tech. It's a great character arc for both leads. And with Jeremy Whitley's Wasp coming up, you may want to pick up these if they're still in your store or wait for the trade and binge it. But either way, you should jump on board that one. Now, finally, two of my all-time books came out uh, this week. Uh, and we have... Giant Days, number 42, by John Allison, Max Saren, and also have Paper Girls, number 24, couldn't find the number, Brian K. Vaughan, Cliff Chang, Matthew Wilson, Jared Fletcher. I'd love to tell you about how great these two issues, these two issues are, but I can't. Mind you, that's not because they aren't both amongst my favorites in each series for the year, Ooh. But, but there are so many vital plot points in each book that I'd be in fear of spoiling something that, if you're a fan particularly, you need to read for yourself. Uh, Paper Girls is not off the rails. It just keeps chugging along. Some great stuff there. And the emotional stuff going on over in Giant Days is getting real. Steve, I know you read that one. What did you think? I don't necessarily want to talk about what I thought. I want to know what, well, expand on what you thought. You're calling this one of your favorite uh, issues of the series. Of the year, yeah. Oh, of the year. Of the year, not of not of the forty-two issues. It would be tough okay. to do that for right now. Okay. Um, yeah, I just like I said a couple of issues ago, this book truly comes alive for me when Max Saren is doing the art. Mm -hmm. I think they just make they're they're the the giant days team for me. There's been a lot of other wonderful contributors to this book, but it's these two that really make it for me. And I just I love all the expressions going on here 
the characters are, are just <sighs> things are changing, man. Yeah. Like At things are changing. Ed yeah. Mel is uh, moving up in the world. Yeah. And oh, oh, I don't know. Esther doesn't know what to do. It's it's the it's the best kind of drama for me, and it's super expressive. Like I said, the Max Aaron, all the all the faces and all the, the motions going around. I sound like an idiot right now, no, but it, it's, unless you get to anime eyes and all sorts of oddball little effects start to happen. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it's she's hard great. to find new words when you've talked about a book 42 times on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> and thank you, by the way, for bringing it to my attention. Yes. Yes. That was me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's seriously, was it's it? one of those was things it? where I almost don't have words for it anymore because I, I enjoy it so much that it's just, it's a part of my life now, and when it ends, so will I. <laughs> Did anybody read Paper Girls that we can talk about without spoiling anything? No. Okay. It's it's getting weird. Oh, it's getting more real it's than more, last time? It's getting more weird than ever as things start to connect. Oh, so good. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Mr. Joey. <clears throat> That's right. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you, sir. Okay. Go. War Bears number one. Hell yeah. By Margaret oh my God, I'm scared. Atwood of Angel Catbird fame. And also Handmaid's Tale and also a bunch of other stuff, obviously. Margaret Atwood, Canada's jewel, uh, is back to comics <laughs> with War Bears number one. This time with Ken Stacy on art. No Johnny Christmas. Sorry, oh. Angel Catbird fans. Um, Ken Stacy is more than up to the challenge of capturing Atwood's flair for Golden Age-inspired storytelling, dense, bombastic, and rooted in history. War Bears, number one, tells the story of Al Zurakowski, an aspiring comics artist with big dreams and a deferral notice from the Canadian Army due to his asthma and eyesight, saying he can't serve in World War II like his older brothers. The son of immigrants, Al just wants to make his family proud and do what he loves, which is draw for comics. So he gets a job with Canoodle Comics, run by feisty and fiery editor-in-chief Gloria Topper, and starts making his way up the ranks from grunt to strip artist. His first creation, a character named Orsonette, a werebear who fights those Razzis overseas with her trusty (laughs) mystical polar bears Ursula Major and Ursula Minor. Ursula Minor. Amazing. Um, (laughs) Is the is the star of his first strip for Canoodle Comics, so it's as ridiculous as you think. But just like Angel Catbird, Atwood is doing something very very particular here and trying to recapture some of that zest and spirit of Golden Age comic book storytelling, going all the way back to the War era, which we'll talk about later. Bob and I apparently um, yeah. uh, the. Book is three quarters Al's story, and then the last, I'd say, six pages or so are dedicated to kind of his black and white rendering of Ursinette's, uh first mission uh, against the Nazis, which is great, just great fun for uh, storytelling, comic book storytelling. Really cool issue. I love that Margaret Atwood is writing comics in the same way that I loved Angel Catbird. Um, this was a lot, a lot of fun. I don't know how many issues I think it might be three or five. I'd have to check the, the front cover, but it's through dark horse comics. Um, so war bears, check it out. Polar bears, riding missiles, the best. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, I also read uh, Volume 5 of The Defenders. Um, so with Iron Fist dropping and all of the Daredevil teases and everything from Netflix, I wanted to read some of those Bendis Defenders. Um, I remember reading the first issue when it dropped way back when in like 2017 or 20, late 2016. Uh, but now that the whole thing is collected on Marvel Unlimited, I figured I could go through the whole 10-issue run straight through. And this is Bendis with David Marquez at his very best doing a Defenders comic uh, with a cast based on the cast from the Netflix show of the same name, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Iron Fist, taking on a mysteriously revived Diamondback who is dispersing some hopped-up IGH and gunning oh. for the vacated role of Kingpin of New York City now that Fisk is mayor or whatever. Um, Bendis is having a lot of fun here. All the greats show up. Black Cat, Hammerhead, the frickin' Hood, Punisher, even Deadpool's in there for a couple of issues. He's having a lot of fun writing some of his very best characters. Aside from Ultimate Spider-Man, Bendis's runs on Jessica Jones and Daredevil were like defining moments in his early years at Marvel. And his run on Avengers had both Luke and Danny at the center for a very long time. So seeing him put these four characters together uh, stoked a little bit of that nostalgia in me and reaches back into some of the stories that I most associate uh, with Bendis. Over the course of the 10 issues, Bendis tells a great street-level detective crime superhero caper that never strays too far into the darkness and always has that trademark Bendis uh, humor in it as well. Uh, Marquez shines here, though, and the energy of his artwork just crackles off the page. I really love reading this run, and it was actually a great lead-in to watching Iron Fist uh, this past weekend, too. Um, so, like, you know, the, the last thing I need to read from Bendis is uh, the end of his Jessica Jones run, and, and that'll kind of be it. I'll have I'll reached the end of Bendis's run at Marvel wow. now that I've, I've read Defenders as well. So, yeah, that's what I read this past week, because I was watching Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, then. War sounds Bears good. sounds like another winner. War Bears. And it was cool because Angel Catbird was like kind of that Silver Age storytelling mm-hmm. mode. And then she was like, no, nah, I'm going to kick it even more old school. Give me six panels, nine panels. I'm doing, I'm doing Golden <laughs> Age. Give me War Bears. It'll be good. Is it, uh, is it a series? Is it ongoing? Is it a volume? I, I have a feeling it's going to be a mini, like three or five issues. Okay. Yeah. Just like everything else, making the end of the year stuff very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to retool some of that stuff. Anyway, let's move on. I think we have a very special lightning round coming up next from Melissa. You sure you want me to go next? Absolutely, because I'm going to roll right past my five minutes and (laughs) just make a mess of this whole thing. Okay. Are you going to be all right? Yeah. You you always say you hate going after me, so I just wanted to offer you the chance to not go after me. (laughs) (laughs) you always do impress all right let's do this you have five minutes on the clock more if you absolutely need it go okay first i want to talk about dreaming number one um i had talked to you guys about the new sandman universe i think on the last show i was on two weeks Mm -hmm. ago Mm-hmm. Um, this is written by Simon Spurrier, art and letters by Bilquis Evely, and color by Matt Lopez. It's from the new universe. It's the, I believe, the first of the new series that are branching off from that. Uh, it's focused mostly on the chaos being unleashed in the Dreaming, which is what Sandman's Kingdom is called. 
<clears throat> the kingdom is broken. Huge cracks are winding their way through and allowing nasty things to crawl in. Faceless, blank beings literally crawling through cracks in the ground. Uh, beasts of hell are ready to tear apart the kingdom's guardians and unleash other terrors who have waited for a moment of frailty to attack. Dora is a resident of the Dreaming who mysteriously has the ability to leap in and out of dreams and snatch things along the way, which nobody's supposed to be able to do that other than dream, by the way. And she makes a big mistake while playing her games. <clears throat> Poor Lucian, who is Dream's warden, librarian, and trusted advisor, finds his mind working against him, leaving him confused and debilitated when he's needed the most. This is a fabulous start to the new series, successfully capturing everything that makes the original Sandman series such a delight. In fact, it feels very much like I never left the dreaming, which is very appropriate. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is Femme Magnifique, 50 Magnificent Women Who Changed the World. It's published by Black Crown with a beautiful cover by Tess Fowler. How many women can you name who have changed the world? I bet not enough. And that's not because they don't exist, but because we don't hear enough about them. This anthology is an education in those women. It combines short stories to enlighten and expand your knowledge of powerful women who make big strides with the personal memories and epiphanies of some of comics' most talented creators. This book was originally funded via Kickstarter, but I missed it until now, and I regret that. <laughs> the latest edition is now available available in softcover with new bonus materials and cover art. I would have thrown my money at this project with glee, and it's worth every penny that it earns. It starts with a bang, as we get Gail Simone and Marguerite Savage exalting the way Kate Bush smashed her way into the music scene, carving a new path for other artists by making it okay to not give a shit whether people understand her or not. Kieran Gillen and Annie Wu paint a lush, dreamy homage to Bjork with the simple message that they couldn't imagine a world without her in it. Christina Amen. Rice and John Davis Hunt remind us of the power of a Los Angeles writer and editor named Agnes Underwood, who made holes in the boys club of 1950s and 60s journalism with her bold actions and words. Femme Magnifique offers over 200 pages of graphic stories of strength, intelligence, and endurance. Women from the arenas of pop music, politics, art, and science, from astronauts and archaeologists to rebels and mathematicians. Creators from all over the world pay tribute to their personal heroines, including Gail Simone, Kelly, Dusa Kelly Sue DeConnick, Bill Sienkiewicz, Kieran Gillen, Sanford Green, Jill Thompson, Gilbert Hernandez, Gerard Way, and Marguerite Bennett, just to name a few. In a time when comics community finds itself attacked by those who would erase the impact of marginalized groups, this anthology is an awesome reminder not only of the great talents willing to push forward for better representation in the medium, but also of the immeasurable impact that women, people of color, and queer women have made on our modern world. They have opened doors, smashed ceilings, removed barriers, and helped build the societies of our world. From the story of the Baroque painter, uh, I hope I don't mess this up, Artemis, Artemis, I messed it up, sorry, Artemisia Gentileschi? Gentileschi? No. Artemisia Gentileschi. Yeah, what he yeah, said. Yeah, just throw some, those, throw some stank on it and you got it. By Marguerite Bennett and Jen Bartel, oh. which is another beautiful story. This quote, I think, sums up the mood of Femme Magnifique quite well. <clears throat> you may carry the sword for the rest of your life, but you will carry the paintbrush, too. And that is that. And you guys, 
every one of you should be reading this book. It is. Yeah. I'm so well, in love with it. You just cost me money. Well, just now. <laughs> you cost me money re- last I, night, too. Sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. I've been reading it for three days straight. Like, I can't. I, it, it there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, granted, I have a lot of life to do in between reading comics, but you know, I just I can't like every time I get a chance to pick up. I'm reading it digitally right now, but I'll be ordering um, the trade as soon as or the soft cover as soon mm-hmm. as I can get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading it every day every time I have a chance to open up my little my little Chromebook and read more stories because I'm just so hooked on it. That's it's really. Awesome. I'm, I wrote the same quote down you did from Marguerite Bennett and Jen Bartell's story. Mm-hmm. Because that just hit me. It's everything this book is about. I missed the Kickstarter as well, but I pre-ordered it from my comic store. And when he wrote, my, my the owner wrote to say, did you order this? I went, yes, I did. <laughs> said, yes, that was me. Yeah. There's so many amazing creators, so many amazing subjects of these stories it's basically who isn't in this book at one level or another. Uh, the one thing I do miss, Bill Sienkiewicz, it's in the extra back matter where he did this wonderful portrait of Nina Simone, who's one of my favorites. But there's no Nina Simone story. So maybe there'll be a volume two with all these other ladies that were in the back of the book. I haven't gotten oh, to that yet, but now I can't wait to see it. <laughs> no, it's 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 amazing. We there, there are people here, again, as you're saying, they're from every walk of life, from the Bible and Joan of Arc through, as you say, astronauts and scientists, singers. Uh, Margaret Atwood is the subject of a story. Yes, by Four Bears. Hope, by Hope Nicholson and Johnny Christmas, talking what? about Margaret Atwood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Margaret Sanger, uh, the woman who founded Planned Parenthood and who is the aunt of Olive Byrne, who helped Dr. and Mrs. Marston with Wonder Woman. And uh, certainly Margaret was inspirational on that. Shirley Jackson... Uh, one of my favorite science fiction horror authors who wrote The Lottery and the original Haunting of Hill House. Ah, uh, that story by Marguerite. It, it, the art by Jen Bartell, it is so beautiful. And it, the opening shot, we'll spoil the opening shot, is Marguerite standing in front of one of these Baroque paintings. And it's the typical, remember last week, Steve, about the lyrical way her words flow through the page? Mm-hmm. It is one of those, it, it, the, the first page will break your heart. It is that beautiful. Oh, goody. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, no, it's awesome. and In a good way. I, yes. And that, that's one of the ones I certainly highlight. Another one, it's actually the second story in the book, is about a, a young girl named Mary Anning. It's Corinna Bechko and Sean McManus, who I read about as a little boy. In the 1820s, she was collecting dinosaur fossils and made herself into a scientist, but no one listened to her because she oh, was yeah. a lady. But those of us who were little dinosaur kids, we knew who Mary Anning was, finding her ichthyosaurs and pieces of iguanodons and everything else. Great book. Again, the, the soft cover comes with those extra. I didn't realize the other one didn't. But it is a bargain, an absolute bargain. It's $30 for 200-some-odd pages of some of the most glorious story, art, and characters you'll come across. Yeah, the, the soft cover also has the, uh, the new cover. The cover. Love yeah, the cover. new Tess Fowler cover, which wasn't on the Kickstarter project. Comes out September 25th. I just looked it up. Yeah. Steve and I were looking it up last night. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. Know. So how did, um, how did I get it so early? Well, From my regular comic store. 
I think if you pre-ordered it from the con- well, according to Steve, we I think we were looking at Amazon and they oh, take like they two weeks late, extra yes. or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, they have that that deal that they they're like two weeks out from everyone. Um, I, I think there's a lot of books out there now. Um, I know because Carol and I buy a lot of them. Um, that are these kind of like you know anthologies of of cool women in history. Um, we've talked about several of them on the show. But what makes this one really unique is that each story is not just a um and a tribute to somebody it's also a little insight to that creator to mm. that writer who's working on it you get to see a, some of them share really intimate pieces of their life some of them share memories some of them share you know um moments in their life that kind of inspired their future and where they went mm. <clears throat> um it's so it's really you know it's it feels very much like two two gifts in one you know you're not just reading some history and learning about all these cool people you're also like learning so much more about some of these creators that we talk about all the time which i found really really interesting because it's like a little it's like a little bite out of an autobiography for each person yes. you know right on <clears throat> yeah were you here when uh i talked about brazen rebel ladies who rock the world yes okay um that is also a good one but this book sounds amazing I know I caught you and I talked about that Bjork piece. <laughs> I can already feel the energy in the room and I can feel the sway. I think I think everybody's gonna have to read this. And uh we'll I need to read it show. by the end of the year, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. That's what I'm, the, that's what I'm the, getting at. That's yeah. that's the joke. The very right. first story that starts out with Gail Simone and Marguerite Savage oh, talking oh, about oh, Kate Bush, like yeah. the artwork is this like beautiful, sprawling, like double page just it's just gorgeous and i just i immediately i started reading i'm like oh my god i have to talk about this and just took a picture and started tweeting out about it um and and it was really yeah it was really cool and everybody just was like what is that oh my god i need that what is it i feel like i just found a treasure i'm gonna get my sick ass out of the house at some point this week (laughs) (laughs) go to my local comic shop and pick it up bomb man edited that one shelly bomb yeah Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that sounds amazing. See, this is why I don't like going after Melissa. <laughs> See, she you warned you. Now she said, you know, like, you got to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I only found it, too, by just playing around in comicsology, And it popped up, mm. and I was like, oh, what's this thing? Yeah, that happens. That happens with comicsology. <laughs> comicsology <laughs> is, uh, is dangerous, dangerous stuff. Um, okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is uh, after you talking about Sandman, Melissa... Uh, Bronwyn was kind enough to get me an early Christmas gift. I'm so in, excited! I know I got the slipcase edition, the full, the full shebang of Sandman Ooh. coming to the house like tomorrow, and Merry I'm Christmas. so pumped. I've never read it. <laughs> I've never read it. It's, it's on my list of shame. It's probably my number one list of shame. I think is the Sandman series. So you better talk to me about this and not make me well, wait for I'm an talk episode. To everybody about it. Cause I got to <laughs> tell you, if I start this thing, I'm probably not going to stop it. So you're going to have to bear with me through a couple of podcasts as I work oh, my Sandman. way through this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more on, more on that and the time to come. But uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward. I feel like it's time. It's time. All right. Uh, I've got a lightning round for y'all. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock, even though the clock means nothing to me. <laughs> you know, uh, respect the clock. Respect my floor. Uh, <laughs> all right. Here we go. 
So, uh, I spent a lot of my time this past week playing Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4. But more on that in a minute. It inspired me to go and dig up one of my recently bought but not read Spider-Man series. And I really wanted to check out Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. So I read Volumes 1, which was Brawl in the Family, and Volume 2, The Venom Experiment. So uh, written by Jerry Conway, art by Ryan Stegman and Nathan Stockman, colors by Sonia uh, Obak, uh, Jesus Oberton, Brian Level, and Juan... Uh, Frigiri, and then with backups by Anthony Holden, Kate Leff, and Marguerite Sauvage. First, I have to say, after reading Venom and then reading this, the series has cemented my love for Ryan Stegman. I really dig his style, man. Like he's growing on me. It's I'm I'm like awake to him now. I haven't really been able to, to pick him out of a hat for quite some time, stupidly. And now that I know what's up, uh, I am all there. Let's see. What do you need to know? Peter Parker and Mary Jane are married. They have a daughter named Annie Mae Parker. Also, Aunt May is dead, I think. Uh, as a family, all three use their spider powers to fight foes like the Mole Man, the Sandman, Little Normie Osborne, and one very pissed off Tyrannosaurus Rex. By the way. What's with New York not being freaked out by dinosaur attacks? Are they just they've used to it? it they've by seen now? it before, sure. Dinosaur man back in the day and stuff, it, stuff happens. So Mary Jane has a spider suit and the spider suit feeds off of Spider-Man's powers. It's all very comic booky, and they kind of have to share the responsibility of the spider-ness of him. And it, it, it amounts to some really amazing dialogue between these these two uh, webbed lovers. Anyway, it's hilarious watching Peter and Mary Jane doing their best to parent. They make all sorts of mistakes, but also teach Annie Mae a great number of important lessons as well. She also teaches them a whole lot, which I really, really love. Overall, the series is action-packed, drop-dead gorgeous, and fun for the whole family. Uh, there's also in the third volume, there's a time jump. Uh, so it's like eight years later. So all of a sudden you're dealing with like 16 year old Annie Mae and she's got a different costume and she's really good with her powers. She's also has this crazy power that she actually has like premonitions of sorts. Um, she can kind of spider sense from way before things happen. It's, uh, it's kind of cool. Um, what else do we got here? I don't know. More words about Spider-Man. We're going to skip it. Uh, let's talk about Spider-Man for the PS4. Yeah. So in looking at the IMDB page for this game, I did not realize that the new Spider-Man game is actually written by Christos Gage, Dan Slott, Tom DeFalco, and Kelsey Beecham. Wow. I did not know that. Um, I'm at 57% completion overall. I have not seen the entire game. Uh, but I do have a couple of things that I want to bring up about it. It's probably the most beautiful rendering of New York City I've ever seen in a video game. It makes me really miss New York. <laughs> I was playing this damn game. And all of a sudden, I got really choked up. 
because I was swinging around and I landed on the side of the friggin' Radio City Music Hall. Did you like find your favorite corner in New York? Oh, I've seen so many things. Like I've seen the Flatiron Building where we first met up with you, Bob and I, and when mm-hmm. we met you in the city. Aww. Like that was the first thing I saw. It was the first damn thing that I came across in this game. You have to you have to take photos of monuments and stuff. It's one of the like fetch quest collectibles types of things. And so you go to Madison Square Garden, the MoMA, the Museum of Natural History, Avengers Tower, the Bar with No Name, like all of these places, all of all of these really cool uh monuments and sites. Central Park. Oh my god, Central Park is so gorgeous in this game um the swinging the movement the combat you feel like spider-man 110 percent they've done this sort of thing in spider-man games before but not since like spider-man 2 has it been this good and it's even it's better in this in, in my opinion just technology and whatnot um so from what I've seen of the story, uh, I think it's really enjoyable so far. It has a bit more depth than I was expecting, but that was before I knew who was actually on writing duties for the game. And now I completely understand how like fully realized the characters are, how on model they are. They sound like their comic book counterparts, like one-to-one. Um, all the relationship stuff is there. Uh, this is not a spoiler He's been in the trailers, so don't even get mad at me. But Miles Morales is in this game, and he plays a bigger part than they let on. Like they make it look like a walk-on in the trailer, which is like, oh, Spider-Man, cool. It that's not like that. It's not like that. Like you do some stuff with Miles. I want Miles Morales DLC for this game. If they do not make that. Or give him his own game after this, they will have failed. <laughs> okay. Uh, the voice acting talent is outstanding. Da- Darwin DePaul's Joe Jana Jameson is like my favorite thing of life <laughs> since I've been playing this game. He sounds incredibly like um, the dude that everybody loves that plays with Simmons. Simmons. Yes. Simmons. He sounds om- like. It's so close. It's. I really thought it was him. I had to actually look on IMDb to make sure that it wasn't. Um, so he is. He's the Alex Jones of Spider-Man haters. He has a podcast, uh, and it's basically the Daily Bugle's version of Infowars, but it's all about Spider-Man. Nice. So it's like Jameson just going off about everything that you've done prior to the next podcast. Like he covers your latest exploits. And it's the writing is so smart. It's so good. Like he's constantly yelling at his assistant and he's a totally garbage human being, but it's so funny (laughs) and it's so you can see it like you could see um, J.K. Simmons in your head is somewhere in a podcast booth. Just Alex jonesing it up. It's amazing. The conspiracy theories about Spider-Man talking about how he eats things because he's a spider. It's so amazing. and I love it. Um, let's see what else do I got here. The mission structure uh, outside of the main story is exactly what you'd in- you'd expect. In fact, it feels like the Batman Arkham games crossed with Assassin's Creed. Uh, um, you've got to collect backpacks, rescue pigeons, stop uh, car chases, foil bank heists, decriminalize different zones of the city, all the things. 
thankfully, I am a big fan of fetch quests. I don't necessarily mind them, particularly in games like Assassin's Creed and now Spider-Man. There's nothing I love more than a big map with lots of stuff to discover and things to collect. Um, there was nothing for me that I had to complete that was like felt like it was inconsequential. Like I was having fun just being Spider-Man while doing some of these like more menial tasks or whatever. But the swinging around is so good. And just being Spider-Man is so good that it it just it didn't matter uh, to me. I already mentioned the Miles Morales thing. Uh, yell at Sony to make DLC. Okay, I got that in there. Uh, <laughs> so after reading Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, which was actually inspired by playing the game to go and read that, um, I would really, really love to see Sony work in their other Spider-related persons into the series as playable characters. Like you get to play other characters than Peter Parker in this game at one point or another. And one one section, one character is really, really cool what you get to do with that person. But one of the other ones, it's like it's all stealth. And while it's cool and you're 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 solving the mystery and you're Scooby Dooing around and all this stuff, it's very bottom of the barrel stealth and it just feels like that character is worth so much more than what they wrote uh for them but anyway uh i would love to see them do spider woman or spider gwen or spinneret or spiderling or spider ham or anya whoever spider ham but I mean, you have to you have to factor in voice work and all this stuff, and how do you change it? You can't just make it a skin because anyway, just give me like a Spider Man doesn't quip option and a and a skin, and I'm cool. Like I still haven't found the old school black suit yet, and if it's not in this game, flip tables. Uh, anyway, that's my mini review for uh, Spider Man on PS4. I'm absolutely loving it it does have some like open world trappings and stuff like that but like i said just the the feeling of being spider-man fighting like him swinging like him joking like him and solving a spider-man mystery with all these big time villains you know coming together it's it's a really really great game and if you're a spider-man fan you should definitely play it like there's nothing to be on the fence about uh, in terms of checking it out. I'm so excited. So. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I have been getting up at like, I got, up, I got, I couldn't sleep last night. I got up at 5 a.m. today and like immediately came downstairs and played it until right up until I went to work at 11. Oof. So yeah, That's crazy. So, I'm hooked. It took me, it took me off of dead cells. I've been playing dead cells like a fiend. And then Spider-Man came out and I have, I've friggin' the shadow of the tomb Raider. Uh, oh, yeah. loaded onto my system now too and I can't touch it until I'm done with Spider-Man I have to uh, set First up world my problems. whole television and everything before I can play Spider-Man but. I'll come over and hook everything up for you <laughs> you come down from Canada hook up my whole TV and so I can Dude, play Spider-Man I will, <laughs> yeah. I will hop like, on a plane see ya, have fun <laughs> um, alright does anybody have any uh, comments and or questions about Spider-Man before we move on to uh, shared books my backlog is so embarrassing right now of games that um, mm-hmm. 
I probably won't play Spider-Man until next year. <laughs> My problem is starting something, getting about a quarter of the way through it, and not finish it. My backlog oh, is so bad that, like, I think I bought Destiny 2 Forsaken. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like it's loaded onto my thing, but I haven't had the energy to put the disc in and find out. Yeah. Yo, you would, you would so be bad. angry with me if you knew yeah. the games that were sitting in plastic on my desk right now. Oh. <laughs> you would be angry. I, I load up my PlayStation and that ma- first menu is like, I got to scroll through so many fucking games to get all the way over to my to my library all the way at the end because it's just like I've played 15 minutes of so many mm. things. And then Do you have plans there. to get Spider-Man? Eventually. But you, I'm yeah. not... I'm I'll not letting you. myself buy any games right now because I literally have two huge games on my desk right now in plastic. I don't but. know where Max is at with like being able to, well, being allowed to use the PS4, I should say. He doesn't but, use um, it. He doesn't. Okay. It's hooked um, up to my computer downstairs. <laughs> all right. I'm just like, he would have a ball just swinging around. Like he wouldn't even really need to play the game. He would just love to swing around as Spider-Man. Well, is it only on PlayStation? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. It'd be crazy on the Wii. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, He's allowed to play both Xboxes and the Wii U upstairs, yeah. but the PlayStation the is off limits. Blow up if it tried to play this game. Mm. Yeah. All I know um, is oh. I gotta play Spider Man and beat Spider Man before Red Dead Redemption Two comes out. <laughs> so I gotta get through that. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's see what do we got here for open discussion. Bum, 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 dun, dun. Let's talk about uh, Batman. Mm. Let's go, Batman. Okay. We'll pour, pour one out for Jess, who's not here yeah. tonight. <laughs> we'll talk about Batman. 50. I would like Bob to talk about Batman 54 because apparently you know something about it that we don't. Oh. So Sure, it was one of those things. But anyway, Batman number 54, Tom King, Matt Wagner, Carlos by. Tomu Moray, letters by Clayton Cowles. This is an interlude type of story, one that showcases the Bruce Wayne-Dick Grayson dynamic as we flash backwards to the days just after the Flying Grayson's tragedy brought young Dick Grayson into Bruce's life. And then we have parallel scenes that show Nightwing trying to bring both stability and a smile to Bruce who's now still trying to cope with the aftermath of that spoiled wedding in whatever way you'd like to use the word spoiled. Um, I didn't think it was anything special, but it was a nicely told if familiar story by Tom King. And it's always great to see Matt Wagner's work in, in a big two book. One thing though, there was some small controversy over the coloring of this one as initially Matt's son Brennan had done the work completed the entire book, which DC then decided to scrap, thinking it didn't match the house style or some other such ballyhoo. Now, I'll embrace the old French expression, there is no discussion in taste or color. Still, the palette used by Mr. Moray on the interior struck me as a little garish and pastel, as opposed to the moodier look, which you can see on the cover, which Brennan did the coloring for. And I really, I, I think the coloring of the interior of the book really sort of it worked against the mood they were trying to create. I don't know. What did you think, Steve? I'm a little confused by 
almost everything you just said. Actually, but now that you say that, I did not know that that was the situation. Yeah, I didn't know that either, and I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, Go ahead, Joey. Reading the book, on the one hand, plot-wise, I was like, all right, here we go. We got this little like interlude story with Dick Grayson trying to be, you know... <laughs> Strap in, kids. Yeah, like yeah. whatever, you know. Um, and it's fun. It's light. It's whatever. And it just it lacked. I don't know. There was something off about it. It, it lacked a certain energy. It, it felt a little just lackadaisical and lax for for my taste. And I'm wondering if it's partly what you're talking about, Bob, in terms of the recoloring of the book. It does feel a little washed out, and I think that takes away from the energy of it as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think the the story I don't think the story lands in the way that I think it wants to land in the sense of like you got you know Dick Grayson and and Bruce and these kind of flashes between Bruce trying to obviously pull Dick out of the worst moment of his life losing his parents mm-hmm. and now you have Dick trying to be like you know helping him through what he's going through here after um, Selena leaves him at the altar the rooftop altar, whatever. Uh, and I, I, it just, the, the back and forth, I don't think, I don't think works. And I, I think if, I think it falls to the art. I like the conceit. I think it's an interesting conceit and I'm, I love seeing Nightwing and Batman together. I think it's so funny. And I think, you know, the use of some of Batman's more absurd back wall rogues <laughs> yeah. is, is a great, is a great thing to kind of, create this this light mood but i don't think the artwork lands here and i think color is a is a big part of it but i also just don't like the the modeling of it either i, I had problems mm-hmm. with i had problems with some of the faces and the some of the expressions there was it was difficult for me sometimes to distinguish between young dick grayson and nightwing in terms of mm-hmm. like the face and i'm like one is five and the other is 20 years older and whatever wearing a mask and they look exactly the same so um i don't know there was something about the artwork that just threw me here it didn't have the same kind of energy or spark that the rest of the series that i've read has had and that's a bummer because i do like the idea of it pretty much everything joey just said yeah yeah um no i mean i'll be i'll be honest the art was distracting for me i it kind of put me off from the start and it there are a lot of pages here that i i just either didn't like or or i was confused by or it looked strange i had no idea about the coloring issue i just i found it i found it hard to follow the story i don't know what the takeaway from this was supposed to be because i was so distracted by the art throughout the comic um it just wasn't my bag you know and i and when it when it was over i i was just kind of like it's a very sweet sentiment but the the journey to get there i felt wasn't as well presented or or concise as some of king's other stuff like we've run into you know off-putting issues of this run every now and again uh but this one i think i found to be the most jarring of them all um but you know what? Everything has its ups and downs, and that's just my opinion. So yeah. we can move on. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all at best mixed on this one. You know, for me, Matt Wagner has done such great work on the Mignola verse over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. He's done some Batman stuff, done 
all sorts of dark, dark books. And that sort of sepia tone sort of thing, which you sort of see on the color, on the cover rather, it, it would have helped. I don't know that it would have saved anything, but it certainly would have been better than... It, 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 it strikes me as a difference between the Tim Burton Batman and the Joel Schumacher Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like, wow, look how red that carpet is in this in this stately Wayne Manor. I find sometimes, and we've talked about this before, where uh, I sometimes compare King's writing to Chuck Palahniuk in that you he has a rhythm. And sometimes, especially when you get these issues that are they're the in between before we get into like the big arc kind of stuff. Uh, it takes me a couple of pages to get into that rhythm. And when he was talking, when, when uh, Dick is talking about sewing and he's like constantly making the yeah. joke, it was, I have no idea what was going on here. I was like, why is this joke going on forever? Where's the punchline? Um, and it just, it flashes forward and, and, and I don't even know if it flashes forward. Oh, it does. Flashes back and f- anyway, I'm gonna stop talking about this. Um, <laughs> just an an off issue for me, and an absolutely stellar run. Uh, they happen. They happen. Can I ask you guys a Batman related question? That's not about this issue. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, y'all know I'm a big Sean Murphy fan. Should yes. I try to read White Knight? Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. It is hands down one of the coolest and most original Batman stories I've read in a number of years. It's awesome. You should okay. definitely read it. Okay. I have I not will. been interested in Batman in many years, but you know, Sean Murphy's on it and I keep looking at it and I'm like, man, I it love is, this stuff so much. It's so good. It's so good. It is absolutely gorgeous and it's really well written. And I, I loved, I just, I loved it. I love that. You should definitely, definitely reading it. If you're thinking about it, take the dive. I've been thinking about it for a long time. Well, uh, you could always borrow it from me if you need to. I'll just stop by your house and pick it up. No, you can use my account. <laughs> oh, silly. I think actually issue number one, I just saw in Comixology, like issue number one is going to be free pretty soon. Ooh. Uh, September 12th. I need, I think the hardcover is coming out in October sometime. Yeah. Yeah, the trade. Um, yep, I will be purchasing that. Alrighty. Um, oh, so we have another book for open discussion. Um, Bob, I'm sorry to dump this all on you. Are you cool with leading this one too? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, as Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Yes. Let's let's make sure we pronounce that in in all its uh, Norse glory. As Guardians of the Galaxy, which says it's an Infinity Wars tie-in, but I didn't. Uh, who cares? Uh, it's Cullen Bunn, uh, Matteo Lali on art, colors by Federico Lee, though there may be an accent in there that I'm missing. Uh, letters by Corey Pettit. I am a huge fan of Cullen Bunn's work in general, and particularly of his Fearless Defenders, which ran for only 13 glorious issues back in 2013 and 14, and I probably spoke of every issue when it came out. Uh, and so... Even if this book isn't a complete continuation of that one, I had to jump on board and see where we were at. As the story goes, Angela, who is revived from somewhere from another universe, because she's created by Neil Gaiman and so on and so forth, is now the sister to Thor and Loki. 
She is assembling a team in an effort to prevent the cosmic apocalypse known as Ragnarok, which seems to break out once a week in the Marvel Universe, one way or the other. <laughs> and there's a certain unnamed by me surprise villain trying to unleash it. Yo. Yeah. Yo. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Angela's team is certainly an eclectic group, featuring, at least at the start anyway, uh, the Asgardian Destroyer, the, the big robot who we will find out eventually in the book, who is now the driving force of that one. Uh, Brunhilde the Valkyrie. We've got Annabelle, Dr. Annabelle Riggs on board, too, from Fearless Defenders. Scourge the Executioner. Kevin Masterson, a.k.a. Thunderstrike. And wait for it, Throg, the Frog of Thunder. <laughs> now, great good humor coming through Cullen Bunn's usual fantastic character work, a marvelously cosmic storyline with some great and hilarious twists, however you want to look at it both ways. Just within the first issue, uh, the art by Lolly and Blee is absolutely superb. I adored this. Anybody else? Uh, yeah, I can say a few things. <laughs> yeah. This book is so good. I am so excited to... Do we know how long this is? It's as long as it's going to run, according to his back matter in the printed really? copy. Really? You know, Bob yeah. just said he's the best book of all time, so we'll see, we'll see how long it's canceled in three, yeah. <laughs> They're going to get next issue out. Let's leave it at that. Um, I particularly dug the colors. The color work in the opening pages when Annabelle and Ren are on their uh, they're on their I guess assume on a date or they're they, talking yeah. they're courting the whole thing uh-huh. uh, and then Angela arrives with the destroyer that whole sequence of them coming through the portal and then Annabelle kind of like touching down or getting whisked away is just beautiful uh-huh. um, and then you know the, the page after that that giant spread with everybody just you know letting loose and doing their thing and it, it's just. Amazing. I we mentioned it last time on the podcast, but um, Cullen Bunn's Fearless Defenders, like uh-huh. that's that's been that's been a hole in our hearts for a couple of years now. I think this has the potential to kind of run alongside that, so long as it sticks around for a while. But I think the setup is brilliant. I absolutely love the cast. Throg is ridiculous. His entrance is just incredible. <laughs> And I will not spoil anything because it's just so good. But I almost like dropped and broke my iPad because I had to do a double like fist pump when I reached the final page of this book to find out who else is on this team. It is so delicious and I am on board. (laughs) Yeah, I it took me a little bit of time to like remember Fearless Defenders, you know, with the Valkyrie stuff and Mm -hmm. Annabelle Riggs, is that her name? Yep. Love uh-huh. that character. When we did Fearless Defenders, she was so cool, right? And I can't believe it's been almost five years since that book. Yeah, that man. Was out. That's wild. Yeah, that that was definitely, uh, yeah, that was a great series. And this one seems to be a lot of fun, too. The big villain reveal um, is, is super cool, you know? It's so unexpected, too. It's so unexpected. Uh-huh. I, I will say... And it, it happens more and more. Maybe this is a spoiler. I don't know. It happens mm-hmm. more and more with the movies. I'll just put it that way. That, like, aesthetically speaking, we're starting to see some matching up between the movies and the books. You know? So, like, 
for those of us that have been reading for a while and know these characters, someone will roll in in their movie costume and I'll be like, what the hell is that? You know, like, you never wore those yeah, before. Yeah. So, but I will say it's a, it's an awesome reveal and it's it's really cool. Great spread. It's a fun book. It's funny. I love all the characters. The one character I really don't have a grasp on is Angela, who's kind of like the lead of the book. Because um, I didn't really read the, the Journey into Mystery stuff that she was in. Mm-hmm. Or Angela, I think Gillen was writing it, or someone, and uh, I just, um, I, I just never Mar- Marguerite Bennett. It might have been Bennett. Might have been. Who was Marguerite? And um, I know Stephanie Hans did yeah, some of the artwork. Yeah. Uh, I just bought it. I just bought it like three well, weeks I, ago. I know she was in Journey with Kid Loki. I think when Eminem. Yes. Oh my God, Journey into Mystery. Yeah. So good. Was Eminem was writing it, so I don't know. Um, um that was. Catherine Eminem? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's funny. Like, everybody else I got a grasp on. I love reading. And just, I can't really place Angela's voice in my head. And partly because she's just uh, this unknown character to me. Um, but I'm into it. I, it's, it's got this kind of wacky, high fantasy idea to it. It's sci-fi. It's cool. I love as Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I think that's <laughs> so good. And you know what? I'm going to say it because I've been saying it. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, scrap it. As Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy. let's go. (laughs) I'd love to see Throg on the screen. Yeah, that might be where they're headed. I don't know. It's not looking good. Not looking good. Tessa Thompson rolling in. There is nothing that they can do at this point with announcing a third Guardians of the Galaxy that is not going to be saturated in controversy. Like, there's... There's no team that they could pick Look, at I'm this point you, that would satisfy people. I'm telling you. Just go, we, just go back to Thor and Rocket. That's yes, everybody's favorite team. Dude, I think um, I think that once Avengers 4 drops, they'll be like, all those Guardians, dead. <laughs> like, you don't need them. You don't need them. Well, they're going to have to do something because I think they're doing they're doing reshoots to finish the movie now but i'm curious as to if there's something and i don't know anything about anything about this but dave bautista has been very vocal about not wanting to return his drax and he's even said like if they want to do a drax thing or a movie or spinoff or whatever and somebody else wants to play him that's totally cool um it's not up to him but it's nice that he they have his blessing or whatever (laughs) um but um I I don't know. I don't I I I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to reshoot some some final stuff and um just wrap they, it. Do they just wrap it or they scatter the guardians so that they all go their separate ways and like you don't need to worry about Drax if they make a volume three because he's with Mantis and they're chilling and they're you know they're gone and whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah, last I read, they, they actually were looking at Gunn's script again. But yeah, I, I mean, think that's just window dressing. I'm telling you, dude, narrative wise, think about it. What questions do you still have? Like, come on. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. All right, let's talk about some uh, better movie related stuff. So, Brie Larson, uh, we I think we yeah last podcast we were like. Ooh, 
we didn't know what was going on. Brie Larson was like, hey, EW, you want to break the internet? They're like, yeah, let's do it, Brie. Um, so we were all like, oh, is it going to be a teaser? And me, stupid ass, who writes movie news, should have known and should have seen the pattern, but I just wasn't thinking at the time. Of course, it's going to be like debut photos from the set and, and from like some finished stills and oh, yeah, whatever. It's EW. It's not like. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. But, you know, like. I, I think we're going to get – I heard a rumor, I think I said this last time, that they're going to drop the Captain Marvel and Infinity War trailers back-to-back in uh, November. Bro, I told uh, you that. You did? Yeah, <laughs> like two weeks oh, ago. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. So you can blame Joey if it's not true. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, so Captain Marvel uh, came out on uh, Entertainment Weekly's latest issue – and I mean, I'll just say right off the bat, she looks amazing. Yes. She looks like Carol. The suit design is so on point and I'm in love with it. It's great. They, they did a fantastic job of uh, rendering that uh, for, for the big screen for sure. And yo, I'm just going to say it before Joey gets to it. I absolutely love the look of the scrolls. Joey was right. <laughs> they look so good. Yeah. Like where where Thanos didn't really look like Thanos at the beginning and they've completely re- reworked him and stuff. It it feels like a design they've really learned from the past 10 years and they I don't know. They they they've managed to blend live action and off the comic book page really well with those at least that I can see in those shots. We'll have to see how they look when they're moving and when they're talking and stuff like that, but from those shots they look incredibly cool. So, um you can put a, a movie together basically from the various shots they put out. There may not be the right movie, mm-hmm. but they they actually have put things out there and in the interviews that you read it is a deep piece of work that's going to go to a lot of familiar places in the Marvel Universe, if not completely familiar to the origin we've known for Carol before. Because mm-hmm. things do have to be a little different. We still don't know exactly who Jude Law is playing. We don't? Don't we? Don't no. we? No. Yeah, I thought he was playing... Isn't he Marvel? Marvel. Mm, that's what everybody thinks. That's what everybody thinks. But he's they, still oh, you think he's a scroll? No, I mean, it's sort of unnamed. I don't. It says it pretty definitively in this EW article. It doesn't say Marvel. Yes, it does. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, oh. liar. Okay, no, I'm lying. I'm looking at the comics verse article. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't think he's playing Marvel, but they like EW is very coy, very coy about it. They don't say nothing. It makes a lot of sense, but there is speculation. Yeah, I mean he'll probably be Marvel. I mean, like, yes, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're, it just gets everyone talking. It's fun to see Sam Jackson de-aged. Yep, uh, all that stuff. This whole idea of it's. We will find out her origin, but it's not going to be told in the normal way. She's going to, the movie's going to start, and she's got her powers and doing stuff in space. In space. space. In space. Uh, um, go ahead, go ahead Bob. No, go, go, go. No, I was going to ask Melissa what she thought. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about Captain Marvel yet, but I know I'm happy to see Ronan back on screen. We <laughs> face mm-hmm. Ronan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ronan. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. 
Uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy about all the other stuff. Looks really cool too. I I don't know a whole lot about Captain Marvel, like I said, but uh, I'm excited about it. But when I saw I saw that little hammer in the corner, I was like, whoa, whoa, that's uh-huh. Ronan. Ronan's back. Yeah. Ronan. Sweet. I'm on Team Ronan. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, he's a uh, bad man. It, it, Melissa loves her villains. I do. I do. I'm right there I, with you. I also love Lee Pace pretty much all the time. <laughs> I hope he, like, I even hope when he looks like he's got oil dripping down his face. Yeah. I, still love him. I hope he still has like his like Ronin voice though. Like I hope that wasn't just a villain thing he was doing. I hope he really talks like with his hammer. Like who are you? Like, it's so good. Um, how about that? Uh, how about Maria Rambo? I think that's yeah. so yeah. cool. And they are saying that it, considering what her code name on the plane is Photon. Yeah. And in the movie, she will have a daughter named Monica. Oh, so good. Who who will be just about the right age when we get back to the present to be whatever new code name they want to throw at her. Spectrum, who she is now. But to have her be. These are forward thinking people. They know that they're going to have to hang it up with some of of the people they've worked with for the past 10 years, and they got to reboot. They're going to change the Marvel Universe forever. They have to, yeah. Oh yeah, man! We have to. Oh, we're so invested. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I, I think I think we can safely make a guess of one of the most popular Halloween costumes this year. Oh, oh, yeah. nine inch nail shirt. Nine inch nail shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. So good. I think it's so cool. And I, you know what else I was thinking too? When they were like, um, the picture of. Uh, Carol at the head at the at the front of uh, Star Force. I was like Star Force. That reminds me of A Force. Yeah. Oh. 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 You think Captain Marvel's gonna roll up and Could be we? like, be like, ah, oh, Avengers. I got a new name for y'all. Yeah. We're 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 credits. <laughs> yeah. And and we look, they do have the rights of the Hulk, so we can bring the She Hulk in, and we'll go we'll go for it. They got Jubilee now. They got everybody. Dazzler, yeah. They got everybody. Get us oh. some Jane Foster Thor going. Oh my God, this is incredible! Oh, this that is would incredible. Be nice. That would be really nice. I think Maybe that's really... how you get Natalie Portman to come back. Hey, would you like to pick up that hammer? Yeah, Miss Portman. I love all the interviews in the article. Like the, looking at the pictures is great, and I, I love every image. I think they're so cool. Like you said about the scrolls and everything. Like I can't tell if it's all if it's all practical or not. And if it is, awesome. That makeup job is fantastic. And if it does have some CG, great because it also looks incredible. It's probably just a chin piece and dots. Yeah, right. And it's just like I I love the design. I think they look so good. I love all the images. But if you read the interviews too. With Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, obviously Brie Larson, and everybody, it's they it's they got the right they got the stuff. right stuff. <laughs> they got the right stuff. Um, they got the right view of the of the material, you know. And, and they talk about we, you know, we went back to the comics. We we really wanted to respect that. We view her this way. And for those of us that have been reading Carol, at least since Kelly Sue took over the book. In like 2012, it feels like forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's what we want, you know. And I'm so 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 excited for this movie, uh, even more so than I am for Avengers Four in some ways. Um, With you, 
And and I think it's so awesome that we're going to get this movie and then in less than 40 days we'll have Avengers 4, you know? It's like less a month and a half maybe. Crazy. You know, when Carol kicks Thanos' butt from here to the moon? Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I still, I like, I got a lot of questions though. Got a lot of questions still. Like, how is she going to be frozen at the end of the movie? Like, what's going to happen? You should... You, we should all write down some predictions Quantum and seal, seal them in an Quantum envelope. Realm. And we have to open them after the movie comes out and find out if we got anything right. Here's my prediction. Scrolls? <laughs> Secret <laughs> invasion. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have shirts of each one made. Joey was right. Joey was wrong. Mm-hmm. Just, Joey was mostly right. Joey was kind of wrong. We genuinely have no Joey idea. says relax. Yeah, relax, <laughs> don't do it. Genuinely have no idea where these movies are going to go. And, and that's so exciting. Like, how do you make, what is it, nine, 20, 20 movies at this point, And you still don't know what the code is going to be. You don't know how what the climax is going to be. I think that's so exciting. A lot it's of good stuff. Yeah. It's the right stuff. Top Gun. Top Gun. Okay. Uh, from... The big screen to the small screen, sticking with Marvel. Marvel's Iron Fist season two yeah. came out this past Friday. Uh, I binged it, as did Joey. Yes. Did anybody else get to check it out? Uh uh-uh. uh. All right, Melissa. No, I've heard oh. too many bad things about this show to be interested <laughs> in watching it. To be honest. Uh-huh. Now, did you no. hear bad things about Iron Fist? Season one or season two? I, I don't. I overall, I just you know from all of the different aspects of geek community I'm involved in, I just hear a lot of noise about people not liking things about it. So it's not. It's not. Honestly, it's not been on my radar at all. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Joey, too do you want to go first? Stuff or to watch. Well, um, too much other stuff. That's true. I can. I can start if you'd like. Sure. We don't have to go on forever. We can just... Yeah, no, I have like a little blurb and then we can spin off of it. But so Iron Fist Season 2 dropped this past uh, Friday, Thursday, midnight, however you binge your shows. Um, Ten episodes this time instead of the the usual 13. Smart. Smart is right. Uh, Follows up on, obviously, Defenders, uh, which was last year, and uh, our first season of Iron Fist, which... Um, we, um, we talked about on the show, we'll leave it there, Iron Fist season one, way back when as well, um, featuring Finn Jones's debut as the character. Amidst controversy, it's obviously been a, uh, been a sticking point here on, on Talking Comics. But Iron Fist season two builds on the storyline from both of those, particularly focusing on, uh, the character of Davos. Steel Serpent from the comics, uh, who was obviously raised alongside Danny, who we met in season one. He gets a much bigger feature here um, as, I'll call him the antagonist, but uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. We get a continuation of the Meacham storyline, the the uh, Ward and Joy, and their relationship with Danny. A lot more Colleen. Misty shows up as Ooh. well. Yep. So all your favorites are back. Um, a new showrunner this time. 
Raven Meltzner takes over, who was the showrunner for Sleepy Hollow, y'all, which I love that show. That is a great show. Oh, God, I love Sleepy Hollow. He takes over from Scott Buck, everybody's favorite, who ran such great shows as Iron Man season, Iron Fist Season 1 and The Inhumans on ABC. Um, oh, and it, well. it was because of his work on, on Inhumans that uh, took him off of Iron Fist here. Um, and the 10 episodes kind of just follow that storyline. Davos and uh, Danny kind of batch heads over the legacy and ownership of the mystical Iron Fist. <laughs> Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong. And, I'm um, totally not wrong. <laughs> but, but that was also one of the best parts of Black Panther. And I think Iron Fist makes a good choice in framing the season around that. Um, mm. I think it. I think it does help having that as the antagonist, as opposed to season one, which was, um, you know, this. Uh, so many things were happening in season one. <laughs> the hand, whatever. Um, they may. I like how they make it a point to mention that they, they're done with the hand. They, they mentioned it like three times. The whole, the whole first like half of this season is just like, we're done with everything we did last time. It's the all, first it's episode all is so, even in the first couple of minutes, it is so looking to impress everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I really like it for that reason. Yeah. Um, I, I liked a lot of this. I'm going to be honest. I, I did not like it for about half of it. One through episodes, one through five. I felt like it was a lot of the same. I felt I was bored a lot of the time. But then episode six drops, and it is a sprint to the finish. And I really appreciated that. You know what happens in episode six? Finn Jones, Danny Rand, gets his ass kicked, and he's essentially sidelined for the rest of the season. Wow. Um, and I, I, I know why I don't like Iron Fist, and it's because I just don't like him. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I find him to be stale as, as an actor. I, I, don't, I don't really enjoy, I find him boring. I, I don't really enjoy him. Um, yeah. As the lead, when he's the focus, I don't really enjoy the show as much. I think it's a little bit, a little bit drier, and that's a bummer because I've seen him in other things. I liked him when he was on Game of Thrones and things like that. But here, if he's the focus, if he's the only thing I'm focusing on, I, I don't really like it. But when he's sidelined, he's humbled a little bit. He's interacting with other people, like his cameos in Luke Cage and things like that. I think he, I think he's great, you know, and he gets little one-liners here and there. It's, it's really cool. What really helps this season, in my opinion, the back half and the show overall, is the fight choreography is a, a thousand times better than season mm-hmm. one. Uh, they, they, I could tell Finn Jones actually learned some f- fight choreography <laughs> as opposed to I season think, one. I think they all really put they in all an did, effort. Totally, like he doesn't put the hood up anymore. Like season one, it was like put the hood up stunt guy you know like and you could tell here i think he's doing a lot of it which is pretty cool to see so does the actor playing davos obviously um jessica henwick does a lot as as colleen too so i think it's i think that the fight choreography really helps as well i think that focus on colleen over the course of the season and her relationship with danny and her relationship with uh misty um is also a a great help to this season too especially in the Mm -hmm. back half when she gets a lot of the focus which is really really cool and once misty comes in and this series basically becomes daughters of the dragon 
for Ooh. like for like three straight episodes. It's like Daughters of the Dragon, like doing yeah. investigations and shit, which is mm-hmm. I am here for it. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are here for it, which is really, really cool. I um, sign up for Netflix to see that. Oh, one hundred percent. And like I they're really they're leaning into that really, really hard. And the last thing I'll say is um there are some really bold story moves made yes. in the final two episodes that I was not expecting. So like I was binging, I started binging it Sunday. Um, and then I watched like half of it and I was just like, I don't know if I want to watch the, the second half. So Monday night I watched up until episode eight and it was like 10 o'clock and I was like, I don't know. So I did episode nine and episode nine is like, insane and i was like i gotta watch episode 10 now like i can't i can't (laughs) stop you know and i was genuinely shocked and i was impressed by a lot of the moves they make at the end of this at the end of of this um season and i i I, you know like i'll i'll come back for season three because the the stinger the epilogue to this season (laughs) reaches into what i will say is the best iron fist story out there and for mm. those of you that have been listening to the show and know what we're talking about, it is it references and explicitly shows us some, you know, references to that story, that storyline that I want to see. And I am genuinely hyped to see Iron Fist Season 3 if they're going to pursue that storyline. And that is coming from me. <laughs> and everything the guy I, who loved Iron Fist yeah, and all one. the yeah. shit I've said about this fucking show from from mm-hmm. the first from the casting announcement that's a pretty big deal I do think the show suffers still from I, I find it to be melodramatic at points and I don't believe it because I don't think the acting is particularly good for some of for some of those moments but this season makes a lot of good moves and the final two three four episodes i was i was in it and um iron fist was made cool again with that comic book story that i'm talking about and if they're gonna do that for the show it might just do the same thing for the show okay that's what i'll say Mm, that was a lot sorry it's okay it's okay. I could piggyback off a lot of what you Jones, said. Though, so you, like, you made my job easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it very, very, very much. Uh, worlds better than season one for me personally. Uh, I was really engaged throughout the season. I think they did some very admirable work with uh, the female cast. I thought they were had much more of a voice this time out. Uh, there was, although there was still some, there was less misogyny, although I did kind of want to punch uh, Danny in the balls every oh. time that he, like, his manhood was questioned around another person. He's so awful. Like, he's this, he's this, like, glowing, loving, doting thing when he's in private. And then the minute somebody asks him about, like, his situation, he get, he turns, like, he's in seventh grade, and they're like, oh, you know, you're taking it to that boba. And he's like, oh, you know, don't do not do that. Oh, come on. But he's still giggling anyway. I don't like it. I want to punch his teeth in. Um, <laughs> I don't really. I Like you said, I really don't love Finn Jones as the character. Um, there's a couple of questionable things that I think they around the writing that they do with this character they're still doing 
that I don't understand. Um, you already talked. You talked about him with his leg, right? He gets yeah. He gets he gets his ass okay. kicked by Davos. Right. So he he gets his ass kicked. Stuff happens to him, and he he needs to train his way back in. This is no disrespect to the Colleen Wang character. She was fantastic this season. I will fully admit I have not really been on board with Colleen up until this time. Um, I did not like her in season one, and some of the other stuff. Um, I just for reasons, but here. I thought she was fantastic. And like Joey was saying, how the focus kind of shifts towards her. I thought that was a very bold and smart move uh, and kind of made me sit up in my chair uh, a little bit straighter to, to pay attention to where like I left the series saying like they were, I knew we were getting down to the last minutes and I'm like, are they really going to end it this way? Like, are they seriously going to roll out? Blah, blah, blah. And, and they, they did. did. <laughs> they did. And I really, I have to commend that because they really, they put viewers in a very interesting position. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't heard more about it. Maybe because it hasn't been out long enough. No, but, I think you know, I think we haven't heard enough a lot about it because people hate Iron Fist. <laughs> I, I genuinely think oh, that's it. And I think Spider Man came out too, and and that's where they put all their basket because like people just did not like the first season they don't like the character and they just a lot of so they kind of just dropped iron fist season two and i I thought it was so funny when iron fist season two premiered the first thing that they did was like here's this teaser for daredevil season three it's like that okay so where's the focus here just it's not getting a marketing push like the other ones are getting no um I totally forgot to to bring my point around uh before when i went on a tangent but uh the whole thing about him training like it kind of bothers me that the Iron Fist needs to be trained back <laughs> from his injury. Like I said, no disrespect to Colleen, but I just I didn't buy that whole thing. Her her abandoning of this and honor that. Like I just I didn't I don't know. It felt like such a background thing. They only brought it to the forefront when they needed something to do uh, to get him back in the game. And let me tell you something. After that injury, there's no way he would be doing the stuff that he does later in the season. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, I found Davos to be very one note. I really hope that we're done with him. Um, he bores the living daylights out of me. I don't like him as a villain. I don't like him as an actor, as a foil. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I don't. There's not he. Like I said, he bores me. I'm not gonna rag on the guy for too long um ward had some interesting stuff here nothing that made me feel better about the character though he's kind of me 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 and winds his way through this season as well there's a little bit of depth to him at some point but it's not capitalized on and he's just kind of the same dismissive asshole that he was at the start at the end and I just I find very little to be interested in mm. when it comes to him. He's just kind of there, you know. He's just tagging along, and you know we gotta spend all this time with him going to meetings and being involved with this woman and all this stuff. And I just I don't care. I don't. Um, Joy I thought was she was good. I I really enjoyed the. The, I don't like her motivations, but I did enjoy some of the um, some of her performance and some of the moments with her. I thought were really really well done. But um, the character that blew me away the most was Alice Eve. 
as Mary, as Typhoid Mary. I like I don't know anything from Typhoid Mary as far as the character, so I can't say whether or not it was comics accurate from what I've seen from a couple of articles and stuff. It's not. <laughs> but not being the biggest Iron Fist fan and not really knowing this sort of thing, um, and I believe she was a big Daredevil villain Daredevil, uh, yeah. as well. Um, but as far as performance-wise, I thought she gave the best performance out of the entire cast, with the exception of, like, Misty Knight and and Colleen, I thought, were also uh, excellent this season as well. But I found Alice Eve to be very compelling, and I really loved the delivery of what her deal was. Yeah. And, you know, I thought that was very well-crafted. It was very mysterious for a while. The triggers were neat. Uh, I have some theories about her past and 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 all of those things um there was an aspect i won't reveal it but like there was an aspect to her character that again something that was brought up and not capitalized on maybe they're saving it for season three i'm guessing um but it was the kind of open-ended that like i wanted something just a little bit more for it before we left for like another year and change you know, it wasn't I didn't leave it being like, oh, I can't wait to figure that out. I left it being like, well, are we going to explore that or what? Um, so anyway, uh, fight choreography so much better. So, so, so much better than the first season. It looks like everybody put in a lot of work uh, to make sure that it was legit this time around. And I give everybody, including uh, Mr. Finn, what? credit for what? putting yeah, no, he did. He put in he put he in did. some work. He clearly, he you know, he announced that he was going into training and he was clearly paying attention because he whooped some ass. He was throwing some kicks that looked pretty good. Yeah. Um and uh Colleen uh Wang, I can't uh, who's the, the actress that plays Just her again? Like- yeah, okay. She she like I want I want that series. They do Daughters of the Dragon. Just forget Iron Fist season three, just two daughters of the dragon. Dude, I'm telling you, dude, do like I just you just need like a six six episode Iron Fist series to wrap up to do that story and give me like a six episode Daughters of the Dragon. Yeah, I'd be down. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we yeah, I mean, we can wrap up or talk about Iron Fist. I think I thought it was cool. Uh, I've gotten a couple of questions as to whether or not you can watch it without having watched the stuff prior to it, and I would say yeah. I would uh, say yes, do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Netflix has a has a really good uh, recap role that they that they have at the beginning of the first episode that'll kind of catch you up on all the nothing that happened during season one, mm-hmm. and uh, you can just dive right in. And so I'm, I'm going to be even more honest with you. You could like fast forward watch the first five episodes. <laughs> like, oh, in my no, I, th- I think so. No, man, there's I some really so. there's some really good Typhoid Mary stuff in there. Uh, I don't know. Typhoid Mary, she didn't really click for me until... Oh, what? Until things started moving in the back half. I'm telling you, everybody, it just felt the first four or five episodes, they were just... They were just treading this storyline forever. And then once things started happening in episode five and six, then I was into it. Um, I love Typhoid Mary as a character, too. She's awesome. If you want to get some good Typhoid Mary stuff, like you got to read Daredevil, especially Bendis does mm-hmm. some awesome stuff with Typhoid Mary. Um, in in that run I was talking about earlier with Daredevil too. Uh, 
Yeah, I thought she was cool. I, see, I love Davos as a character, but I feel you. Like, I, it just. I'm so done with him. I'm so done with him. So in done. the same way that I was done. Maybe it's just like people that want to be the Iron Fist are just like, just like, like wet towels. He's just like, so just, predictable. Just, like his arc was so by the numbers. Yeah. I was so bored with him. I know, and I was bored his with grandstanding and his bullshit. Oh man, get out of here, Misty Does Knight. He monologue. Of course, he monologued. Yeah, he monologued a lot, and <laughs> none of it was interesting. Just like it was very, it was very Black Panther. It was very um, Killmonger and T'Challa of the whole thing of like, but without who should really any of hold. the charisma. <laughs> Right, but like, you know, who should be the Iron Fist? You took it from me in like in a trial of combat, and because oh. I never yielded, and I never said like the fight was stopped. I never yielded, so it's ongoing. So I've been holding on to this the whole time, and here we go, fucking eight episodes about me brooding over this <laughs> thing that you know. And just, dude, you lost. You lost, and your personality was shit before you lost, and it's even worse now. Just sit down, shut up. And you should have died in Conlon. Guys, this review is getting real angsty. I know. We should move on. Um, <laughs> let's end, move on. To the day, You're totally selling me on yeah, it, though. You're well, no, totally just, selling me. End of the day, I'll say what I said again. By the end of the season, I actually was genuinely excited for uh, more. Yes. Which is which is not where I started the season. And I think that's a good thing. Much yep. improved. I'm excited to see more. Yes. Um. Yeah, way way better. Way, I had a good time. Really had a good Bronwyn and I watched it together all the way through in one day, and uh, it was quite the entertaining journey. Um, definitely thumbs up for sure. Despite my my moaning and whatever. Uh, so let's move on to questions. We have one from Aaron Amos. Hi, Aaron. Can someone explain? Hi, Aaron. What, what created the concept <laughs> of the golden silver? bronze age of comics what are the dividing lines bob (laughs) (laughs) well joey has thoughts about this too here's the thing comics do have these ages that were were they're arbitrary in some ways so there are accepted beginnings for instance the golden age uh fellow who named that is named richard lupoff who wrote the first book I ever read about comic books. It's called All in Color for a Dime. It was written back in 1970. To show you how long ago that was, in the color section in the center, they showed you some old books. They showed you Marvel Comics number one. This fabulously rare book from 1938 demands up to $250 from collectors. <laughs> it's about $3 million bucks now. So things, things have changed. But... The Golden Age, for everyone who thinks about it, begins with Action Comics number one and the first appearance of Superman in June 38. The comic books began some five years before a fellow named Max Gaines, the father of William M. from EC and Mad Magazines, republished newspaper strips and folded newspapers, in essence, Funnies on Parade and then Famous Funnies. And then eventually uh, national periodicals came into being with, they did the first one, which is called More Fun, which is all original material. When the Golden Age ends gets to be contentious, I know, Joe, you have an idea about this that I think I agree with. What do you think the Golden Age ends at? Yeah, no, I, I, it ends with Wortham. 
It ends with yeah. Seduction of the Innocent. Uh, Golden Age, from I associate Golden Age mainly with, like you're talking about, war-era comics, late 30s, early 40s, mm-hmm. right? When a lot of our faves debut, right? In that yep. era, going back to what I was talking about with Margaret Atwood, War Bears, right? The history that she's reaching into. That's what it's associated with. And that, as we've talked about on the show before, it suffers a little bit after the war, once you lose the Nazis, what kind of stories do you tell? Yeah. Cap's, Cap had yeah. a horror book, for goodness sake. Exactly, yeah. things like that. But then the the nail in that in that coffin is really worth them, and and the, which leads to a, a serious decline in what we associate, and, and the kind of the delineating mark markers of of what we associate with with superhero comics and things like that. So I would say Seduction of Innocent and Worth of is when the Golden Age starts, and then once that kind of wraps. All that kind of hubbub and hoopla wraps a few years later, and and DC and Marvel kind of are rebranded and relaunched their universes. I, I, I think is when Silver Age starts for me. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing was that for a long time people were saying the Golden Age ended. It was okay, uh, the last Justice Society and All Star, which is 1951. But how do you? Where where do the EC horror books go? Those are not modern books; they're Golden Age books. And once you use Wortham and his seduction of the innocent and the comics code that would come from it, which is 1954, you'd now bring the EC books under that umbrella where they belong. So I think that's that's the most elegant solution yeah. to where, where it ends. Now, the thing of it is, the Silver Age is thought by most historians to begin with showcase number four, October 1956, and the first appearance of the Barry Allen Flash. Right. The thing of it is, before that, Marvel... They were Atlas then, actually, even before Showcase, tried to get back into the superhero business. And Stan did a book called Young Men. It was Young Men 24. Captain America, Human Torch, Submariner, all were back. Yes, commie fighting Cap. Cap, yeah, he fought the <laughs> Red Skull, who is now a communist. Yeah. Uh, and then Steve Englehart would use that character years later. But... It had no impact. They were doing it because of the Superman television show when they thought they could sell some books, and they did, but Marty Martin Goodman just folded them all instantly. But all through, from the 50s all the way up until Showcase, DC was still publishing Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Sure. And the Martian Manhunter actually shows up in 1955. He's before The Flash. Mm. But... If, Forget all that stuff that I just said, and forget that Mark Grunwald thinks there's another Earth, Earth E, where the characters debut in the late 40s into the late 50s, and that's where all those goofy stories with giant typewriters are and everything else. Uh, but the thing is, there are retellings of the origins of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in the late 40s and early 50s. It's in Superman 53, Batman 47, and Wonder Woman 45. Where So his, his crazy theory might hold some water, but... Showcase 4, Start of the Flash, it was then by, his his book relaunched with the old Jay Garrick numbering, so it was Flash 10, oh boy, I'm drawing a blank, I think it was 107, and by 123, they brought back Jay Garrick, and you have Earth 2 and the Justice Society and Multiverse books. And we're oh. back, Silver Age. <laughs> right, we're in the Silver Age. Now, where the Silver Age ends... Uh, Gwen Stacy, bruh. Uh, I say, I say, yeah, it could be. I say it's Jack Kirby leaving for DC. Okay, it's it's like seventy. 
1970. Tomato, tomato. Right, it's 1970. Right, no, it's the same year, kind of. Fish. But, you know, because uh, honestly, at some level, showcases first, FF1 is the summer of 61. That jumpstarts the Silver Age of Comics. Of course. Because now it's something different. is isn't just those books. It's now books for grown-ups, and that took us into that you could have Gwen Stacy dying. Oh. Sorry if I spoiled that for anybody. R.I.P., man. Heart, later. heart still breaks. Yeah. Uh, we can blame Jerry Conway for that one, <laughs> as I remember correctly. So th- that's the same year. It's really, we're looking at 1970. Some people said, oh, it's Conan the Barbarian being printed. But that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I get it. <laughs> I, you know, it. It's a different kind of storytelling. But what I will say, because of that, I think the Bronze Age begins... In a similar way, because you want to be elegant with these sort of things when you're making divisions in history. Oh, I know. In, ni- it begins. in 1971, they loosened the comics code. Yep. And you could actually now tell horror stories. So Marvel did some anthology horror books. DC went down that road too. You saw Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, Ghost Rider, The Son of Satan. And now you could have all those other things. And that then, a year or so later, Stan printed a Spider Man book without the comics code on it the drug issues and, and so did DC with a green lantern, green arrow you began to really move into the more adult sort of storytelling. Do we, do we think the end of the bronze age is crisis? Joey? I think that's what a lot of people point to in that mid, mid, mid sixties, mid eighties crisis. But also I think you have to associate it too with, with the rise of two things. One is what we associate with writers like Frank Miller, right? Alan Moore, mm-hmm. this kind of darker storytelling, kind of a more postmodern kind of deconstruction of superhero storytelling as well. Um, and I think on a, on a more outside of the narrative component, I think it has to do with the change in what the market looks like in mm-hmm. terms of how these books are being sold, right. who they're Direct being sales. sold to yep. exactly, which also happens in the, in the about this time too. And, and that's when the Bronze Age shifts over to what is called the modern age the dark i call them the dark yeah age. it needs a new title because yeah because and we'll get to this in a second but there's no way i'm associating where we're at now with the same modern age that people were saying the 90s were you know it's, it's a very Absolutely. different and you want is this the digital age i don't know but to say that the modern age starts in 86 and goes till today i, I think would yeah. be a misnomer no, because I think just we're saying the darker storytelling of Alan Moore and Frank Miller, it, it's the it's then the image books that image, follow a couple of image, years later. Yeah. It's the objectifying artwork. It's all those other things, which I prefer to call them the dark ages. Uh, I mentioned this in the the talk you came to see that I gave. I think the dark ages, as they did in real life, have, have been followed by a renaissance. Sure. And that is... The indie books, the diversified marketplace, diversified creators. It's not good enough yet. We're in the early years of this. Yeah. But I think it's it's beginning. I'd much so rather this be the modern age. <laughs> well, so let's call the other one the dark ages and we'll call the new one the modern age. Yeah, yeah. Or I like like the Renaissance. You like Renaissance? I like the Renaissance. The Renaissance of comics. I think that's cool. I mean, it would follow... The trajectory, Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Dark, Dark Ages, <laughs> Renaissance. 
And then yeah. the modern age is still coming. Yes, when it's truly all corrected Utopian and, and wonderful. <laughs> Utopian age. Okay. Did you okay, get Mr. all that, Yeah. You got it? There's going to be a test at the end of the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just, it goes like this. Golden Age is the war era. The Silver Age is in the 50s. Silver Age launches with our, what we know about Marvel and DC. And then Gwen Stacy dies. We have the Bronze Age. And then Frank Miller fucks some shit up. And that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> the Dark Age. Right, yeah. And then, like, Joe Quesada takes over Marvel. And the indie books boom and and uh no pun intended we're into the we're into here we are now i think the newest age starts with six years ago with this podcast hey that's what i'm saying that's one for the history books i say i i'll i say the new fandom begins with captain marvel number one interesting mm-hmm. because that that leads to kamala it's the carol core and all those other things that begin to swirl around people who didn't read books before and I you start that. to add in image stuff and saga and all the rest of the things that would now be embraced by this new readership. And now we have we have different looking marketplace than we did even when we started this show. We talked yeah. about this a couple of, of episodes ago, too, how where we are now is a kind of revived, rejuvenated, different kind of market than even when the show started where it was. Absolutely. And I think that just like I said, the change in the market stimulates, in addition to crisis and Frank Miller and Alan Moore, stimulates a change in this kind of age demarcation. I think that digital comics and the MCU are going to be looked at as demarcations as well of mm-hmm. whatever this modern yeah. age is too which lines up very nicely with you know Captain Marvel it, number one is right around Avengers one you know like and I, and that's I think right. that that's yes. a, I think that's a significant moment as well I All right. think we knocked that one out of the park Joey yeah no I'd bad. say Air yeah. are you ready to wrap it up <laughs> yeah that was awesome you guys thank you yeah and the best is yet to come Yes, that is that is true. I've got that Sinatra song in my head. That's Thank why you. I did it. Yeah. Right, we've got one more question. This one comes from Joseph Montague. Bros of Lost Nerds on Twitter. You're the new secretary slash assistant for the Justice League. What's the worst task? We're going to say tasks. Yeah. They have you doing. Okay. Who, uh, Bob? I would actually like okay. you to go first. Okay, I look. The, I think the worst tasks, but awfulest projects you could get. Number one, you got to keep Batman out of the records room because he's always digging up intel on his own partner so he can take him down in a crisis. How do you stop Batman from going where he wants, right? But you got to. But he's that guy. Two, making sure the trophy room is neat and tidy. Do you have any idea how tough it is to Swiffer a giant space starfish? No. <laughs> no. Three, stocking the break room is a completely thankless task. The Black Canary demands that someone pick out all the green M&Ms. I wonder what's up with that. <laughs> Superman will only eat smooth peanut butter with grape jelly on Wonder Bread. That's right. <laughs> that's, how to do, that's how you do it. Right. Uh, Wonder Woman is so strictly vegan she can actually talk to a chicken sandwich so there's that <laughs> Cyborg requires absolute truckloads of WD-40 and oh. forget the 
And forget the mess when villains like Solomon Grundy show up or ex-sidekick Snapper Carr tries to like double-cross the Justice League again. This place is a mess. I, I don't know how anyone could do it. So I, I, I quit. <laughs> Very good. Melissa, do you have any? I have one, but I thought of it pretty instantly. Okay. Uh, doing Aquaman's laundry. Oh. Oh. I mean, I do a lot of laundry in my house, so maybe that's why that was the first thing I thought of. That man just rolls in the dirt, swims in whatever, drops his dirty clothes on the beach, and waits for some underpaid assistant to come and pick them up and wash them. So, And what's the point of even drying them ever? Because he's probably got like weird scale clothes that can't yeah. be washed with other stuff, and they make things smell weird. So yeah, oh, but he's definitely going to be like. Excuse Did you put me. this in with the whites? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. This Everything is still smells wet. like fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, Joey, um, cleaning the invisible jet. Oh, <laughs> greasing cyborg. Ooh. Oh, I have a Sorry similar about one. That. Damn yeah, you! That's that's. <laughs> that sounds kinky. Finding the atom. Um, oh. <laughs> Um, hope he's not in someone's shoe. I know, right? And uh, that, that was all the ones I came up with, actually. All right. Uh, on my list of uh, tasks that you have to do, dry cleaning Batman's suit after fighting the Condiment King during a heat wave. <laughs> suck. <laughs> Taking all the Riddler's crank calls. Didn't want to do that. No. Playing truth or dare while holding Wonder Woman's lasso during happy hour. Who wants to do that? Yes. Setting up Martian Manhunter's Tinder profile. <laughs> Feeding all of Aquaman's fish. Oh. Oiling Cyborg like Dorothy does the Tin Man. <laughs> and pretending to be surprised every time Superman puts on his glasses. Uh, oh. I got a good one. I came up with a good one. Cleaning up Green Arrow's uh, beard trimmings. Oh. Because it's so finely crafted. Oh. I'm cleaning up after Bat Cow, but then I realized that was more uh, that was more Bat Cave related. And I had something uh, to the effect of Spit Shining the Giant Penny yeah. as well. Yeah. Darning uh, Black Canary's stockings. That, <laughs> that'd be a good one, too. <laughs> Oh boy! I had some fun with this one. This was good. It was good. Thank you very much for sending in the question questions, I should say. <laughs> All right. Um, before we get to closing statements, what are we looking forward to this new comic book day, Melissa? What are you oh. picking up? Haha! Oh, <laughs> somebody sounds disappointed. Um, let's see. Uh, this is kind of this is going to be like the week of trade paperbacks for me. So I don't. Don't hold me to this, you guys. I'm not going to read all of these. <laughs> this is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, Age of Bronze, Volume 1. I think I might check that out. Um, really cool, like, historical, you know, stuff. about. I think it's about <laughs> the Trojan War. Uh, Cemetery Beach, Number 1, from Warren Ellis and Jason Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't always love what Warren Ellis does, but I'm such a ridiculous fan that I have to give him a shot every single time, so... Uh, Kick-Ass The New Girl Volume 1 is coming out and I got behind on that so I like the idea of going back and reading a trade now Um, and I might try Oblivion Song Volume 1 is coming out who does that one? Um, Uh, isn't that uh, Robert Kirkman? yes there you go I know things 
Um, sounds good. Joey, you sounded eager to share your list. <laughs> I am. Uh, oh, I know why. I know why. Iceman number one comes back from uh, Cinegrays, which is very exciting. Uh, obviously, Fantastic Four number two as well. Mystery Science Theater 3000 number one Aww. comes out this week. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is one of those things that like used to be on TV when I was a kid and I had no idea what it was and I thought it was naughty to watch it. But it's not <laughs> really. So, no. so, so I'm excited to, to see how the book is. Um, uh, the final issue of Mechadet U is coming out this week, um, which is cool. Issue number 12. Um, another book from Boom, Low Road West number one. Philip Kennedy Johnson and Flaviano do some dystopian teenage drama. So let's go. Uh, there's a journey into mystery, birth of Krakoa. Yeah, I want it. What? I want it. I want it right now. Who's um, who's doing this? Oh, I don't know. I'll look it up. I'll look it up uh, while someone else is going. And obviously, y'all know what time it is. <laughs> is that the wicked and the divine? End of <laughs> end of the second to last the penultimate story arc. Yeah. Coming Issue number thirty-nine is the end of the penultimate story arc of the greatest book ever made. all right bob well as joey said fantastic four number two is this week as well as nancy drew number four which i've been really enjoying the heck out of marvel rising omega that finishes off this week Uh, another issue of steve orlando's wonder woman which has been awesome catwoman number three by joelle jones domino number six by gail simone which gotta have that that so loving that again as i've discussed a character i knew next to nothing about and now i'm just in love with that book and elvira mistress of the dark number two from dynamite oh neat uh let's see what do i have on my list i have catwoman number three house of whispers number one melissa are you picking that up um Oh, I'm sorry. Did did you have to unmute? <laughs> I did. I did. Well, my cat is standing right here meowing. So oh, I want to hear the meow. <laughs> he's on the floor. I'm trying. Is to it keep Darth Vader the or show. the other one? I thought you no, said. It's I, I thought you were going to say he's on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the phone right now. He's busy. Uh, no, it's Data. He's on the phone right meow. <laughs> wow, crickets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, House of Whispers number one. Plastic Man number four. Nameless City Volume 3, the final volume of Faith Aaron Hicks's epic uh, airbender-like series that has just been incredible uh, in the first two volumes. Last one comes out this week. Crowded Number 2 from Image. Ooh, yes. Farmhand Number 3. Scales and Scoundrels Number 12. Weatherman Number 4. Again, if you're not reading Weatherman, you need to. Uh, Wicked of the Divine. Domino, Fantastic Four, Marvel Rising, Runaways, number 13, Ms. Marvel 34, and X-23, number 4. And uh, I am definitely going to go to the comic book store and look for a hard copy of uh, Femme Magnifique uh, sometime this week, for Um, sure. Birth of Krakoa is by Dennis Hopeless and Jibreel Morissette Fon. Yep. As World War II draws to a close, 
The original Sergeant Fury and his Helen Commandos face a mission unlike any other they've ever tackled, and a menace that will haunt them forever. How do you say no to that? Krakauer is a living jo- island. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. My my comic store actually he was sending the list of books over for for everyone. He then wrote me a follow up. What is Krakoa? <laughs> Don't you remember giant size X Men? Oh, how can I forget? It's where it all begins. And didn't he end up? I I, I didn't remember the issue numbers. Doesn't he end up on the school grounds? As, yeah, what, he's, the he's playground in Wolverine and the X Men yeah, for like that Wolverine whole X-Men. run. He's yeah. their yeah. Uh, defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, man, that for he he shows up in that first issue. God, that that series, I miss that series. There's so many things this podcast that we've talked about that I want to go back and reread. Like I want to reread Fearless and uh, Fearless Defenders. Yes, uh, this the Sift journey into mystery stuff and the the other character who shall remain nameless. That stuff too. Um, okay, so uh, that's awesome. Sounds like an awesome new comic book day. We will have another amazing podcast for you next week based around those books and more. Uh, speaking of podcasts, we also have a new episode of Ladies of Valhalla coming out this Friday. They focused on Ms. Marvel by G. Willow Wilson. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So be sure to check that out. It will be in your regular Talking Comics feed. Just download it like usual and uh, tell your friends. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell your friends. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Listen, subscribe, donate, something. Um, Melissa, you would like to say a goodbye, and then I have something to say right after you say the next thing you're going to say. So say it. Yes, I thought we should say goodbye to Adventure Time, which uh, aired its aw. final episode this week. No spoilers. Everybody cried. Um, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I mean, it's. I, it's you know spawned so many things off of it uh not the least of which is a lot of comic books <laughs> a lot a lot of comic books but it's i don't know it's one of our favorite shows in my house and i know that it's probably influenced a lot of people and inspired a lot of people and i'm very sad mm. so when i heard that it was the last episode of the show brahman and i actually went out and we bought all of the seasons on uh, DVD and we started watching them uh, the other night. So we're making our way through season one now. And thankfully, the the final seasons, I believe, including the, the final episode and everything, just came out today, Tuesday, as we're recording this. So we've got the whole shebang. We've been making our way through that over the next couple of weeks. It'll be a nice break from our fourth watch of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> So <laughs> it's quite a mix there. Yeah. Oh, I love that show so much. We should do a mashup. Um, I didn't sure. go to San Diego Comic Con, but if you wanna if you wanna cry for a few minutes over this, there's a great video rolling around of um, Rebecca Sugar, who's one of the um, mm-hmm. one of the main songwriters and creative people behind Adventure Time. Uh, she wrote a fi- the finale song, and she played it on stage. At San Diego Comic Con, Niagara Falls, Frankie. I think one of the hardest things is watching uh, John DiMaggio, who voices Jake. He's sitting right next to her, and he's just like crying his eyes out the whole time. He's wiping his uh, everybody's wiping his eyes for him. He's just, he's just <laughs> sitting next to her, crying through the whole song. Oh, that's um, nice. But it's really sweet. Yeah, we we love it. We we did a family adventure time for Halloween. I think two or three years ago, we did it. 
Um, and Max is still like just this this weekend. He broke out his fin hat and wore it to like a farm to <laughs> run and play on the farm. Nice. Just, every now and then he has a fin moment and he's got to like he's got to be fin for a few hours. Halloween spoilers for me. I was thinking about being Finn for Halloween this year, but doing the uh, Lauren recently texted me and she sent me a, I guess a clip from one of the final episodes. And Finn's got this like gnarly beard and his shirts like all tied onto his body, kind of like a toga. <laughs> and he's got a different sword that I'm not familiar with. And I'm just like, Oh man, that would be so cool. Finn? Yeah, yeah. So I went to, I, well, they're kind of all post-apocalyptic if you believe the lore, but um, I went to Spirit Halloween to look for Adventure Time stuff. Not a single solitary anything hmm. at the whole store. And this is a big ass Halloween store, like huge and nothing. So apparently I mean, like they're not hot anymore. Finn's pretty easy. He is. I just I need the hat. You All I need is the hat. I had one. Hat. Yeah. And then I got rid of it right before I moved. I donated it because I didn't know that I was going to try to be Finn for Halloween this year. The one that Max has is like stuffed with cotton. So it kind of it's like a big pillow on his head and it looks really gigantic on him. <laughs> I saw the, the the boomerang of him jumping on the trampoline with that on. Yeah, he wore it to school for kindergarten last year for like wacky hat day. That was what he wore. <laughs> his <laughs> like, outfits are so epic. <laughs> He's such a crazy. Kid. I have uh, I made a Marceline base last year that I had to like. I saw uh, that Jackie from the Sirens helped me with a, a tutorial video. <laughs> it was very complicated. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Um, well, salute to Adventure Time. We love you. I look forward to catching up with you and seeing what all the tears are about. Uh, Bob, you have something before we sneak out of here. Yeah, actually. Um, look, as I did tonight, you. Folks have often heard me ramble on about a lot of old comics on this show, and most of the time they're right here on the table in front of me. And many of those books are my collection, and in fact, my comics reading habit entirely uh, came from my dad. So while I'm chatting about Justice League 21 or Flash 123 or some such artifact, I can feel his presence in the room with me because those are books he bought for me, they had touched and, and thought about, and... Well, September 12th uh, would have been my dad's 105th birthday. Wow. And oh, both he and, and my mom are gone a long time. I miss them terribly. There isn't a day that goes by where I don't feel the urge to simply say thanks for giving me the gift of wanting to, to read. And I hope they'd have been happy that through this medium and the stuff that we do here that I've tried to pass some of that along. So happy birthday, Dad. Aww. Happy birthday, Mr. Ryer. Okay. Um, before I read all of the things, I just want to send a quick shout of thanks to Adam from the UK. Yes. Who sent us an absolutely amazing, very touching uh, email, just kind of telling us his story and, and thanking us for what we do here on the podcast. And uh, we just want you to hear it here that we read it and it's lovely. And just thank you ever so much for, for sharing your, your thoughts with us. Ditto. Ditto. Mm-hmm. All righty. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. 
Don't forget to check out TalkingComicBooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. We also have podcasts of many flavors, including Talking Games, Valiant Adventure, and Ladies of Valhalla. Melissa? Yes? Do you want to plug your <laughs> podcast one more time? Uh, uh, you caught me off guard. You, I usually do it when you ask me where to find me. <laughs> um, yeah, and Sirens of Scream. Excellent, thanks. <laughs> I've already talked about what the episode is that's coming up. So. I know. Awkward. I just I like to give you equal ground because we're all in this together. Bob, where can our listeners find you? Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com on the old fashioned email. And how about you, Joey? At Joey Bergino. And Melissa. At Lista Punch on Twitter, Instagram, and on the Sirens of Scream. Yay! And I am dead underscore anchorus on Twitter and Instagram. So for real this time, for Bob. As Guardians of the Galaxy forever! For Joey. Higher, further, faster, more! And Melissa. The fun will never end, Adventure Time. Oh, oh no! <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> oh, my heart. Oh, God. I'm already weeping. At least I didn't um, sing Everything Stays for you. <laughs> stop it. All right. Um, I have been Steve. Be excellent to each other. Listen, comic books are for everybody. So loan someone a comic, make some magic happen, make someone's day. We'll catch you next week on the Talking Comics podcast. To be continued. Says hello. Hi. Hi, I, I don't say hello. Nobody. Joey doesn't say hello. Oh, Joey! <laughs> <laughs> I love him anyway, and I'm so happy about his new job. She's very happy about your new job. Weak. <laughs> this is weak. <laughs> Do you want to come over here and yell at him? No, no, don't send her Don't bring her over. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring her over don't bring her oh, over she's, no. dude, she's coming over here you're fucked now no, no, no. Joey's cranky he's got his cranky pants tonight there's nothing weak about me I hulked out have you not seen the pictures I I, what did Steve yeah. tell you I said hello Bronwyn it's so nice to hear from you thank you for your uh-huh. <laughs> that's right you did <laughs> I love it I love it I love it